Hello, and welcome to Wait, What? A podcast for the Savage Critic website. I'm Jeff Lester, and this is the third installment of my week's chat with Graham McMillan about comics. In this installment, we cover Phonogram, the first issue of Detective Comics by Greg Rucka and J.H. Williams, and the first issue of Greek Street. We also talk briefly about the TV show Kings, the failed TV pilot Virtuality, and after the half-hour mark, we talk all kinds of stuff that really doesn't have much to do with comics or even TV shows at all. So if you don't listen to that last part, we fully understand. Nonetheless, thanks for listening. So, um, number, are you there? Number three. Number three. <laughs> number nine. Number nine. Number nine. <laughs> Wait, you're saying that Joe Landon is a Transformer? Yes, absolutely. Oh, Dude, that would be the awesomest thing ever. Lou Reed Transformer, like, because you've got the title of the thing. And so the whole idea is that there's all these, like, Opticons and Decepticons who are disguised as recording equipment in, like, I don't know, some big studio or something like that. And then, yeah, Lou Reed ends up getting involved. And I don't know. That's It's how it all leads up to the, record, the, the recording of Metal Machine Music or something in 73, 74, which he records not merely to piss off the entire uh, listening world, but also to stave off a Decepticon attack. You know the best thing about this? Right now, Kieran Gillen is like having an orgasm. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I That's the plot that. of phonogram number four. <laughs> I thought that joke was pretty funny in our first set of podcasts, too. I don't remember if that ever showed up. <laughs> I, I'm just going to always say that. Anytime we make a pop music reference, I will do a, a, a phonogram reference. <laughs> I have to admit, phonogram. I I am really enjoying. Yes. Much more, much more in the second series than the first. Well, that's that's very good. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I haven't read the. Is the third issue out? Yes. Okay. I've only read the first two issues. I thought the first one, I wasn't crazy about. I thought the second one was very strong. I am your uh, moral double in that case. I thought the first issue. I completely fell in love with it. I thought the second issue was underwhelming by comparison. Really? Wow. Yes, and I, th- I think I'm the only person in the world who had that reaction. Um, I don't know what it was. I thought the first issue was really, really strong. Um, I really liked, I can't even remember her name, but I really liked the main character. Uh, and I thought there was a lot of potential. And I thought the second issue was very, and this might speak to like my own past, I thought the second issue was, was very familiar. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought it was pretty much just feeding into the... I am sad indie boy. Um, I am having problems dealing with women. Uh, like stereotype. Um, <laughs> in, a, in a way that I, I thought the first issue was surprising, especially coming after the first series. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you. The first issue, I was underwhelmed because I thought the character uh in the main lead story was very strong, but the story itself didn't have, it didn't feel like a story for me. And this is my problem. I do not feel, uh, and maybe this is where I'm alone, but I don't feel, I don't feel like Gillen has quite earned his rep altogether. I think a lot of his stories are disjointed. I don't think that they work. 
unless they're given like the appropriate context or you know the appropriate context. The first issue of Phonogram, like I thought there was a character there, but then it was, you know, it's kind of like, oh, it's supposed to be the standalone story. I didn't, it did not feel like a story to me. It felt like a character sketch. And again, there's like this interlocking section of um, supposed standalone stories of all these characters in this in this club, and it's all supposed to come together. What I liked about the second issue was, even if it's something that, like you said, that feels overly familiar, um, it felt like a complete story to me. It felt like it had uh, a, a closing to it when it got to the close, an end note to that. It was all of a piece. And the first issue, I thought, was kind of saying, look, it, this is all of a piece, and it wasn't to me, so I didn't have a lot of... I didn't. It didn't feel as strong to me. I'm going to blow your mind. Are you ready? Of course. The first issue, I've had all of the phonogram single issues, have not felt like stories as such to me, but I have reacted to all of them like I react to music. They have mm-hmm. evoked feelings in me like a good song does. Mm-hmm. And the first first issue would be a single I would buy and I would dance around in my in the privacy of my house to in a way that the second and even the third isn't. Mm. There's something that feels appropriately pop about the first issue mm-hmm. in a way the second and third haven't. And that's besides the fact that like I'm just a uh, I really am easily sold in that sort of thing. Like if something evokes an emotional response in me, I'm much more likely to think this is awesome than I am. That's smart. Um, but it also feels more true to the spirit of the series because of that. Yeah, well, and, and this is where it's problematic is I was not, I was not particularly thrilled with the spirit, with this quote unquote spirit of the series, at least as far as that first mini series where I'm reading it. And, you know, the art is gorgeous, just, just beautiful oh god the art and phonogram just makes me want to weep and in color even better so i love oh, this is, book. When, they, when his art's in color it's amazing oh it is so sumptuous and the color is so great as well it's mm-hmm. not just that it's in color it's that the color is choices are so wonderful yeah yeah no it i mean it is it is it is a book to make you weep to look at it but um but for a, for whatever reason where i'm sort of you know positioned on the you know, emotional formalist axis or whatever, it, uh, there's a lot of stuff that just ends up not feeling earned to me. Um, and I can see, I can see where, you know, the musical comparison can work for you. I tend to, for me to to have those sorts of responses, I need to move, I guess, further into abstraction. You know, I guess I, you know, like I wouldn't, make these sorts of complaints about a Jim Woodring piece, you know, but a Jim Woodring piece literally feels different for me. And maybe it's just harder for me to see the, um, to mistake something for something that it's not, where it's like, if it's being told with the sort of standard dialogue tricks and topes of a modern comic that I'm going to expect it to have sort of the, the story arc or crunch or thump of, of a regular comic story and not expect it to be sort of an, um, an impressionistic, uh, experience, which you describe as musical and I describe as uh, a clumsy mishmash, you know? So that's kind of, 
I did like the second issue. I'm looking forward to reading the third. I think they're getting better. And of course, it literally it, looking at looking at McKelvey's art in color is is a tremendous draw that I will keep me coming back to the book even when I'm unhappy about it. Mm-hmm. But there are times where I where I am very uh, frustrated with it, and I'm glad that that's not the experience that everyone's having. So. So, speaking of fantastic art, color, and things that I may or may not respond to, Batman and Robin number two. Oh, really? I thought you were going to go for Detective Comics there. Uh, no, I was thinking about Detective Comics. I was really tempted because that that we'll probably return to that because that actually would be a lovely little trifecta. But I thought I, I have to I have to admit, Batman and Robin number two I thought was better than the first issue. I did too, like markedly markedly better i ended up in in a way that i wished it had been the first issue i i feel that you could have skipped directly into the story there skipped out the first issue entirely Mm -hmm. and come away with probably a better experience overall yeah yeah maybe maybe folded the the whole mr toad stuff into a very brief flashback so you knew who was getting killed in the prison or whatever but yeah no that the second issue I liked tremendously more. I thought it was it, it was a, a much, to me it was a much stronger parent. Um, it was just a much stronger book. It felt like reading a full issue, and it had, it had all those things, all those charms, you know, uh, that the first issue had, but tied to tied to a structure that just seemed stronger and. Um, it, it felt like, it felt like a complete issue, and Morrison's writing stepped outside of the cuteness of the first issue, which I really enjoyed, mm-hmm. but the first issue I think was a lot more posturing. The second issue got to the idea that these are real characters. Yes. Um, but again, could not have been done without Frank Whiteley. The mm-hmm. art especially in the sequences with Dick talking about talking to Alfred about everything, Yeah, it's stunning. It, it takes my breath away. The, the scene where he's talking about feeling as if he's a kid doing Batman's voice and he's silhouetted against the mask behind him. Mm-hmm. I, just so well done. Incredibly beautiful work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought so too. And and that shot of, of Alfred holding up Batman's uh, mask and talking about it being a role like Hamlet that somebody has mm-hmm. to play. Really, yeah. really delightful. Um, or the, fir- the first page as well. I think the first page might be my favorite Quietly page ever. There's just something about not only the the position of both characters, but the line work. It's mm-hmm. just so well done. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of no matter who takes on the art after this, and I think it's Philip Tan and then Fraser Irving, and I'm really looking forward to Fraser Irving. But it's it can't be as good. There's no one else mm-hmm. who could do this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in mainstream comics right now. There there just isn't. There's no one as good as this in mainstream comics apart from quietly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and, but who's also able to do like, it's very, I think it's very rare to find, um, like artists who have kind of the entire set of tools in their toolbox. I was really impressed at his storytelling choices 
in the fight scene. I was impressed that the fight scene felt like a fight scene, too. That was something I really enjoyed, was there was ass-kicking in this issue that felt like asses were being kicked, I guess, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I have a lot of trouble with, with, with superhero books where either the artist or the writer kind of don't want to bother with the actual fight scene stuff and figure out workarounds to it, and it's over in, like, half a page or something, mm-hmm. um, or a double-page splash or something. But this had just an impeccable set uh the timing and the storytelling choices were just really gorgeous across you know six to eight pages of a fight scene exactly it was was such a well done set piece it really centered the book and it gave the book a weight that it wouldn't have had otherwise and i think that the first issue lacked Mm -hmm. i think the first issue lacked that centerpiece yeah yeah, I thought so too. I thought I thought as as enjoyable as the opening scene was in Batman and Robin number one, it just didn't kind of have the same sort of, um, like you said, weight to it. It had it had tremendous amounts of flash and energy to it, but I don't know the the issue just ended. And you know, it's kind of funny rereading Batman and Robin number two. Um, it it really is. It's it's a surprisingly flimsy little piece, you know. Batman and Robin just happened to be at the police station as the the Circus of the Strange happened to be breaking in to to try and take care of Mr. Toad. I mean, it's built around a really kind of hoary, old-fashioned coincidence, but everything was so well done, I didn't notice until the second or third time I read it through, and at that point, I still didn't even care. I was going to say, it, it's it's so well done that you will grant them that. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll say, okay, that's fine. They're there, whatever. Because you want everything else to follow. Yeah. It, if it had disappointed in its execution, I think you would have been a lot more aware of that coincidence. Absolutely. But you, you're not, and by the time you do realize it, you really, really don't care. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that's uh, that was something like, that's always great when everything that comes together strong enough to sort of overwhelm whatever, you know, the quibbling, you know, the quibbling that I had with Batman and Robin number one, I totally did not have with number two. And I'm really happy about that because I enjoyed this issue tremendously. So can we now talk about Detective? Because I, I think Detective is in many ways the twin, but maybe a bizarre twin of that. Yes. Okay, so Detective Comics, I think, is a beautiful, beautiful, beautifully illustrated issue. Mm-hmm. I think J.H. Williams does a really good job. Yes. Uh, but I have a couple of problems with it. First of all, the story isn't really there. Mm-hmm. I feel it's a very... I feel the start of a story in a field collected edition will be a very satisfying story. Mm-hmm. But ignoring the fact that there is no end to the story, it literally just stops. Well, I wanted to ask you about this. Do you think, or you're much more I, on these I, comic I, internets? I honestly feel like they just chopped the story in half to get the backup in. That's what I was going to say. I feel like they trimmed off like anywhere from two to four pages. They're like, oh, this is a good ending point in order to, to throw it, it just the backup story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just stopped, mm-hmm. which was completely jarring. Yeah. Yeah, I, that, mean, I didn't even I didn't even see the to be continued, and the only reason I knew that the next page was not a continuation was mm-hmm. because it was Collie Hunter's art, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is there. There was no dramatic anything. <laughs> there was yes. nothing to make you think this is the end of the issue. Exactly. I mean, and this is I, 
Yeah, it's like and with that was Jade such Williams a art. bum note. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that was such a bum note that it completely took away from my experience of this year. The other thing is, I don't know. I just felt this incredibly light story. I oh. think Rock is an incredibly good writer, and I think when he's on characters that he cares about, and obviously Kate Kane is one of those characters, mm-hmm. he's pretty untouchable. But there's something really missing in this first issue. Mm-hmm. about his story. There's something... It didn't even feel like an introduction to the character. It pretty much felt as in he had dropped us in the middle of it and he'd forgotten to put the introduction in and he'd forgotten to add the climax. It felt like we were missing pages at the start and at the end. Yeah. No, I, I definitely think that this is one where the production... Like, however they put this together with the backup story, I think they... I, I can't help but feel there were some bad choices made on the editorial end because... Because it really didn't make... I did have that feeling with with both the main and the backup of like, wait, this is not being presented in the way that it was supposed to, and it feels off. I, on the other hand, I mean, I feel that um, Williams' art is so strong. I mean, I'm one of the few people that really thought that the whole Black Hand uh, story in, in Batman was was fantastic because of William's storytelling. And if it had been anyone else, it was kind of where I was oh, like... Oh, yeah, eh. it's, it's, it's the only one, it's the only place... See, he's the only one who could have made it work. Mm-hmm. Especially when he started bringing in... I mean, he was aping other artist styles, but not in the way that it took out the story. Mm-hmm. Which was amazing. He could have a Chris Price character, a Howard Chicken character. Both of them immaculately re- rendered in those artist styles. Yeah. And you, you felt they coexisted. Which yeah. I think a lot of that goes down to Dave Stewart. I think Dave Stewart's coloring really brought them together as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I agree. I, and I, I, th- I think Dave Stewart's coloring for Detective is, is great again. Yeah. I have the problem with Williams' work in this. Um, I feel his choice of going into a more traditional art style for the Kate Kane scenes, mm-hmm. I, th- I think he's made the wrong choice. I think he should flip it. Oh, that. I felt the Kate Kane scenes... I feel the Kate Kane scenes seemed robbed of uh, a genuineness that was in the dialogue because of his decision to draw them in that style. Huh. Interesting. Interestingly, I will disagree with that. I I didn't have any trouble with that transition. I thought it was actually... I thought, to me, it actually seemed like a, a really good choice because the, the scenes with Kate Kane and the dude that she's dealing with are very kind of no-nonsense, you know? They're very kind of down-to-earth conversations where he's sort of chastising her. She's pretty much getting chastised left and right in all of her scenes, but it's all about people sort of trying to bring her back down to reality as they see it. Um, and then you contrast that with the, the Batwoman scenes that are these big, flourishy, fantastic, you know, very sl- visually sumptuous scenes. And I think that that's... I thought that contrast really worked for me, and considering the sort of emotionality of the characters on display in the Katie's, Kate Keen scenes, it would have felt, it would have felt, I think, overly florid if he hadn't changed it up. So I, I was actually pretty happy with that change. I like the changing up, and I think it works on an artistic level. I just don't think it works on a story level. Mm. Well, I, it worked okay for me as a story. Although, again, there's part of me that was very... Um, Williams' work is so strong that it has... A, it, it, it actually will show up any sort of weakness in the material. Um, 
you know, Douglas Wolk actually compared it to uh, to this Jim Steranko issues of Captain America uh, mm-hmm. in his review, and I thought that was a really good comparison too. Because for me, when I read Jim Steranko stuff, the art style always underlines how stupid the storytelling choices are. You know, and I don't think I don't I do not think that Detective Comics is at all a bad comic, and I don't think that it's a stupid one. And I actually thought Rucka did a fantastic job of hitting the ground running and introducing the characters in the situations and making me care about them in a way, um, uh, you know, without necessarily, you know, having to what I didn't I can't say I knew who they were. But the, the drama of the situations dragged me in and would have worked no matter who was drawing it unless the artist was completely inept. But I do mm-hmm. feel that William's work is so, over, is so overwhelmingly powerful that unless you've got somebody who is either perfectly suited to it or who really holds up, who kind of has the weird vibe or counter vibe to work with it... Um, it, it runs the risk of being exposed as, you know, all, all of its flaws is kind of standing out, which I, I felt, again, the Storenko Captain America stories, I remember reading those as a kid and going, what's with this bullshit? You know, it looked gorgeous, <laughs> but I was just like, what? I mean, there is just, there is some serious horseshit going on in the Storenko's stories. Um, and... And of course, the art is something that is like you don't you you know to to quote Jack Kirby you know don't ask just buy it you know um, and Detective Comics I did I was able to relax and I ended up buying it and enjoying it even though I kept feeling like there's got to be editorial made some decision to lop out two pages or four pages and kind, was kind of like well we've got to work in this extra backup story so that we can justify charging our 399 price for it and so we're going to kind of cut the light you know it's like oh that's kind of a big uh page turn where batwoman's firing a gun like that that's going to do it you know and it and it kind of didn't so I yeah mean, exactly and it, it's such a and I, I feel it's unfair because it's such an i feel it's unfair to the character because when she fires, she's saying whatever. She's not caring. Mm-hmm. So it's not a dramatic moment to end. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's the opposite of a dramatic moment. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, if it's supposed to be, you can see how, in a way, it's, you know, compared to Batman, that is a big moment of like, oh, this is not the same character or even trying to be the same character. But you can just tell from the moment, it's like, this is this was not planned to be the last page. That was not planned to be where the story, where this issue ends. You just know it. You know, um, so and, and get, getting back to our Greg Rucker is listening to our podcasts. Somewhere he's like, "No, that is that is the way the story was supposed to end." I, I sure and hope we, that he we're lets just us know. Gi- we're just giving him a lot more credit than than he actually <laughs> he would like. That would be great. It'd be awesome to receive an email like that. You are giving me too much credit, dear sirs. I see now that I have made love, a grievous love, love error. Greg. Yeah, <laughs> I do not think that's going to happen. Um, uh, so what else have you been reading that has been sticking out for you? Well, you know, I tell you, I wanted to ask you about um, Greek Street number one. I thought would be another great. Oh, thing to discuss. Greek Street! Uh, Greek Street. Here's the thing: I love, but I love because I've read the second issue. Uh, really? Yes, I read. The, I read the first and second issue at the same time. I got uh, previews from DC. Mm-hmm. And um, the second issue, I think, makes the first issue stronger uh, in context. I think the first issue is 
fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the art. I think the art is mm-hmm. sumptuous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like the concept, but I don't... I think the uh, Oedipus thing is a bit too on the nose, and I don't think everyone else's roles are really set up well enough. And mm-hmm. um, the second show, I feel, adds a lot more onto it. Well, uh, and what's, what's fascinating for me is I think a lot of vertical titles launch the same way. I think Unwritten is a fine first issue, but second issue makes it better. I think Air had a middling first issue, but I think by the end of the first trade, it's a really strong series. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it, I think it's a real problem with Vertigo that they know they're writing for a trade, mm-hmm. and they don't give you a first issue that just kicks your ass. What I thought was interesting about Greek Street is uh, it has a perfect first eight pages you know the whole scene up into you know where he's where you know super spoiler but then then everything else that happens after that yes yeah everything that happens after that is anticlimactic and has none of the has none of the storytelling fire that the first eight pages have so it's actually the rest of the issue is a come down compared to that first opening sequence that first opening sequence is perfectly sort of balanced i think but here's where I can say, pick up the second issue. Uh, pick up, pick up the second issue, and I think you'll feel better about it. So, which is un, which is unfair to everyone who didn't receive a comp copy of the second <laughs> issue ahead of time. You know, it, that's the thing. I mean, it's a one dollar first issue, and God bless mm-hmm. whoever made the decision of Vertical to do that. I think that's great, and I hope lots of people pick it up. Yeah. But if you're doing a one dollar first issue, make your first issue so fucking good mm-hmm. that people are just going to have to pick up the second. And I don't think Creek Street does. No, I don't. And it, what's a shame is it comes close. It comes really close. I thought that op- everything right before the title credits, that whole opening sequence, works. And then the rest of this stuff is kind of by the numbers. And I don't know, there's also something that's a little by the numbers by the about the, the, the idea of it. So I'll be kind of curious to see how the it idea goes of it, from here. Do you... Do you watch King's NBC show? Because Greek Street is King's to me, and I, I find it fascinating because King's failed. You know, it's been cancelled, it's on Saturday nights, mm-hmm. no one's paying attention. King's is, for my money, one of the best shows on network television right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And got buried by its concept. Mm-hmm. Because either you saw the trailers and you're like, I have no idea what the show is, or you heard all the people talking about it ahead of time and thought, it's a retelling of the King David story? Fuck that, I'm not going to watch it. And what it really is, is a wonderfully complex retelling of the story that doesn't rely on the Bible whatsoever mm-hmm. and is, to my mind, like the next Battlestar Galactica type thing. Right. It is that, it's that smart and it's that willing to, I don't know, just play with the way that you assume things are going to go. I mean, don't get me wrong, they have Macaulay Culkin in it, which is a problem for any TV show. But <laughs> even Macaulay Culkin is... Macaulay Culkin, like, works because they use, again, what you bring to him. Mm-hmm. They, they use that in the show. They use your expectations against you. Yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds great. I'm actually looking forward to catching up on Kings. I kind of I wish it had caught on because I heard great stuff about it, but I was not... I wasn't following it at all, so... Um, although I will tell you, I watched that uh, the pilot of uh, Virtuality on Hulu last week, and I thought it was a damn shame that didn't get picked up because I thought that was great. 
I thought it was all right, but I, I had a couple of problems with it, one of which was Fox airing it as a movie, mm-hmm. because it, there's no fucking way it's a movie. It doesn't even vaguely finish. Yeah. Yeah, no, like, I agree. Not, not even slightly. Um, but also, I don't know, I, I felt... I felt... I liked it right up until the maybe the last 30 seconds. I liked it right up until the captain was revealed not to have died. Uh, okay, well... Or, or, or to be living on in the virtual worlds in some sense. Ye- which I completely, completely hated with an incredible passion. Okay, well, admittedly, that last 30 seconds did kind of suck some serious ass. But, to be fair, I think that there was also a case to be made that it, it wasn't necessarily what it seemed... I think, you know, I, I feel like it was kind of, it, it bothered me and it, I realized that it's, again, because of the ending of the Battlestar Galactica series, it bothered me probably 40% more than it would have otherwise. Um, uh, I didn't like that part, but the rest of it was, it was kind of interesting watching it with Edie and like, we ended up breaking it into two parts because of just the timing of, of, of our timing available to watch it. But at the, you know, we'd watch like the first, I don't know, 40 minutes and we're like, this is really good. Like, it's kind of crazy. Like there's all this stuff that's being set up that you can't believe is never going to be followed through on because the series isn't done. But, but also compared to something like the first episode of Dollhouse, which was horribly dull and really badly done. Like this was, it was a really, virtuality was a really, Last 40 seconds aside, it was kind of a textbook expert pilot in terms of setting up a lot of really interesting stuff that you wanted to know more about, uh, some really great storytelling reversals, you know, in the course of things, and a very strange tone. I mean, it was like 2001, A Space Odyssey crossed with Twin Peaks, you know? Yeah, there was, tonally, it was fascinating, and um, I think the... I think that was almost too complex. I, that tone alone made me think, oh, I know why they never made this into a series. Because yeah. it was so dismissive of reality programming and Fox in particular <laughs> that, that you kind of knew there's no way this would be a success. Because well, there's, there's no way they'd let it be a success. For everyone saying that something like Dollhouse is so transgressive, mm-hmm. it's really not. Right. I mean, Dollhouse is incredibly... Um, Dollhouse wants to be the show that is redefining what you think of society. Mm-hmm. But it's not, because it reinforces stereotypes almost more than it challenges them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so Dollhouse is comfort television dressed up as something else. Mm-hmm. Whereas virtuality just wasn't. Virtuality was pretty much, you know, people are messy and screwed up and you are part, you know, you enjoy their lives as entertainment. Mm-hmm. How do you, you know, how do you as a viewer deal with that now seeing what's going on behind the scenes? And it, it was um, so accusatory that I, I really am not surprised that it never got made into a series. Yeah, I guess I'm not surprised, but it, it, it is very disappointing. I would have hoped that it would have gotten at least a season out of it. I really was, because it certainly didn't suffer from the quality of things, so... That's uh, that's a 
that's a little for for those of us still listening to the podcast run to hulu and watch kings and uh and watch virtuality but there's more kings so start with virtuality because it'll be over much sooner (laughs) (laughs) it's true it's it's over and done with in like 90 minutes unless you're old and slow like me in which case two 45 minute sessions Hey, if you're like me, you would, and then watch it over like three afternoons. <laughs> Did you really? I, I, it was one of those, like, wasn't it? It was probably evenings, but it, yeah, it was one of those things where I watched it so piecemeal that I was really getting into it, and then the last thirty seconds, I was just like, seriously? Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was pretty. What the hell? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because uh, up, in, I mean, when the when the airlock thing happened, I thought that was really ballsy. Yeah, I thought it was great. I really did. Um, and I mean, even up to that point, I thought it was really ballsy when you get to the point of the guy that you've actually been sympathetic to throughout the entire show. It, you know, first he's then you realize, oh, wait, he might be losing his mind. And then, yeah, when they bump him off, it's just like, wow. Um, but I don't know. I kind of trusted the show had some some like very subversive stuff lined up. It wouldn't surprise me if the if the show had gone on if the captain inside the virtuality may not actually be the captain at all. That you know I, I have to bet I'd love I'd love to know what was coming next. Mm-hmm. I'd love for them to just whatever, you know, online, on the D V D, whatever, just yeah. say, This is what we were planning. Yeah. Although, you know, if there's one thing that the first season of Battlestar Galactica taught us, it'd be like what we were planning on was a bunch of episodes and we'd figure things out as we went kind of thing. So yeah. That's fine. I'd listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how's the timing for you? We've just gone over 30 minutes again. We have um, uh, the, the timing is pretty much like I should probably um, take my leave because uh, Kate and myself are going to meet Douglas Walk or other savage critics this evening um, to go and see Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. Are, are you familiar with the Dap Kings? I am. I am indeed. Um, I think that you, what you were going to say? I was going to say they're um, the band to provide all the wonderful music for Amy Winehouse. Yes, exactly. Uh, I love the production sound, and I downloaded that album off of eMusic, and I found myself getting really cranky and antsy. I don't know why. So it could be because I spend too much time in Starbucks and they play those people <laughs> off the if you, hook. If you like the production, but Amy Winehouse herself is driving him out, mm-hmm. um, check out Mark Ronson's own album. Check out version. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. okay. It's got it's got Dap Kings on, I think, all but one of the tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, Amy Winehouse only appears once. Mm-hmm. There's some great covers on it. There's some really, really good covers. The cover of um, Just by Radiohead is one of the best things Mark Ronson's done. Wait, what? What do they cover by Radiohead? Just. Oh, really? Wow. Yes, and he basically turns it into like a, a Stax record from the sixties. <laughs> that would be really wonderful. That's definitely something I will check out. All right. Well, I'll let you go. Um, I will start putting together these pieces, and uh... I, I feel I feel we've got three of them. I feel we've got three of them in like pretty much an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, good, I feel huh? I feel good about this. We talked about comics. Mm-hmm. Go to you. <laughs> Go team! Woo! Yeah. What? Hooray! And um, is this the point where we should like? Because I'm presuming we can cut out the part about my evening plans. Oh, okay. Yeah. I uh, was or, hoping or we, we, we can not. We we can definitely include that. And if you want to know how it went, people in comments just ask me, or I'm sure Douglas and I will tell you. 
we should say something like, if anyone wants to send us emails or something or comments to tell us what we should be talking about, seeing as quite clearly we talk about things other than this week's comics. Yeah, that, that, that's actually good. I would also like to add that, like, fuck all of you. Like, fuck all of you who didn't put any comments on our last minicast. Just, like, fuck you all in the neck. Like, we got, like, three comments, one of which was me, after I hey, asked for hey, comments. Hey, Yes? It was a 13-minute minicast that basically consisted of me bitching that people weren't reading me io9. I'm perfectly fine with people not leaving comments. Really? See, I totally thought we were going to get tons of comments of that. You know why? Because I was so bitter that no one said, oh my god, Captain America's Bicentennial Battles, you're a genius. That was my problem. You're a genius. (laughs) I'll tell you that. Everyone, please leave a comment right now. If you have downloaded this, please leave a comment and tell Jeff that he's a genius. He wants to know... He needs to love everyone. It's true. Yeah, I'm so, Dear listeners. I am so needy. I am so <laughs> See, needy. See, after me being so selfish last time, being like, go and visit io9, you bastards, I'm completely giving this time. Everyone, tell Jeff how wonderful he is for recording this and editing it. Because all I do is sit here and talk. And Jeff does all the work. So everyone, thank Jeff for this. And Jeff, I thank you for this. Well, Graham, you are very welcome. It is my well, pleasure. I thank you again, then, just to have another thank you and talk of your welcome. <laughs> well, and I should should welcome that again, and then we can turn this into, like, a really bad Shakespeare scene, I think. We could just, like, keep looping it, or me saying thank you, and you saying you're welcome for, the, oh. for like, another hour. So it's an hour and a half long. That'll be great. We'll just loop that, and that'll be the outro, like, with the music and everything. So I should, I should also point out um, to our indie comics listeners... Um, Coming with us this evening, Meredith Gran. Wow. Wait, who's Meredith Gran? <laughs> she does Octopus Pie. She does the webcomic Octopus Pie. Oh, 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 yes, okay. Well, that I have, I have, yes. <laughs> well said. Thank you. I thought so, too. Okay, everyone, thank you very much for listening, Jeff. Thank you very much for doing it. And um, signing off. Signing off. <laughs> <laughs>